Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and a newcomer to the book club, I'm joined by Chris Wright for his first visit. Welcome to the book club, Chris. Hello, Eamon. Thank you. Good to be here. No, thank you for doing this. We, yeah, it's good. Uh, we, we've had a few technical issues as ever, but uh, we've sorted them out uh, on lockdown Zoom. And we, we met back at Thought Bubble last year, 2019. We will get to that in a moment. But before uh, we get to today's book, we start as ever with 2080 origin stories. So tell us your first experiences with uh, the Great British Prog. Okay, so... Um my introduction to to 2008 and to, to comics in general, I had an elder brother who had um, a curious hodgepodge of old British titles, Look and Learn, Commando, Victor, Smash, um, Vulcan. So at a very young age, all these things were around the house. So before I could, I could read or write properly, I, I was looking at these comics and I became intrigued and intrigued by the artwork. So when I got a bit older and I, I got into, um, my, as my reading developed, I was looking around at um, which comics were out there and 2000 AD had just been launched. So I think uh, my first issue was probably around about Prog 8. I think I got the early ones afterwards. Um, so I, I read it quite religiously from about 77 through to 87. And then as I got into my teenage years, I, I drifted away from it. And I had a good long break from comics, largely, and then came back to being a comics reader around about 2015. So um, I, I went along to the uh, 2080 40th event with a, a couple of friends, and and that was it. I, I was hooked all over again, <laughs> to the point where I've now spent a small fortune on uh, <laughs> catching up on everything I've missed and buying bits of comic art. So it's been good. Excellent. Uh, yes, so you were at the 40th, and of course last year we were at Thought Bubble together, where we both bought a certain book from the 2000 AD store, and then we happened upon each other in a coffee shop cafe, I think. So it's, it's slightly weird, because, you know, comic book conventions, do you remember them, and coffee shops and cafes, do you remember them? Oh gosh, it seems like a lifetime ago now, doesn't it? It does, yes. <laughs> And uh, obviously, um, you know, we've just heard the sad news that um, Thought Bubble somewhat inevitably has been cancelled for this year. Yeah. Put back to 2021. Yes, it seems like a lifetime ago now. It um, does. I, I'm, I'm conscious for a lot of the uh, the comic creators out there, particularly the small press folks who rely on these big events to generate income and publicity and so on. Okay, so let's get to it. Tell us about the book that we'd both bought and we sort of like talked about the idea of doing the podcast about it. Okay, so um, we're going to be talking today about Janus Stark, which is one of the 60 staples of British comics, originally uh, published in Smash, then transferred to, I think... Was it Valiant? Valiant, thank you. And then um, then to the, these rather nice reissues. So we've, we've had volumes one and two, and I think when I met you, um, we both picked up uh, volume one. Yes. So Janus Stark, quite a curious character. How to describe him? Um, a, a kind of curious mixture of Sherlock Holmes, Robin Hood, Doctor Strange, touch of Harry Houdini, and Jonathan Creek, maybe. Yeah. This very strange-looking individual, exaggerated features, probably looks more like a villain. Has these large Dennis Healy eyebrows and this widow peak hairstyle. Yes, he does. 
Yeah, high forehead, widow peak, as you say, those impressive eyebrows and rather sort of, he's already sort of pointy and angular as well, isn't he? He is, yeah, yeah, definitely quite stylized. Yeah. Um, and the stories, like a lot of comics at the time, are quite formulaic, quite typical of the period. And when we encounter the character, he, he's, his name is James Clark, and uh, he's in a workhouse in a place called Hemlock Hall. Yeah. And he's an orphan, so I think immediately we as readers identify with him as an underdog and someone who, you know, we're willing him on to improve on his, his current position, his current status. Yes, we are. Uh, yes, because he's, he's, you know, they're having it. It's Victorian London, we should say, isn't it, the setting of these stories, and he's in a tough time. He's in an orphanage. It's very uh, Oliver Twist, isn't it? It is, it is. So uh, written by um, the great Tom Tully, one of the, the, um, the journeymen of, of uh, UK comics, and illustrated by uh, the late, great Francisco Solano Lopez. Yes, fantastic. Wonderful Argentine artist. We're going to be talking about them both in a moment. Let's just do quickly. So we've got two volumes now to talk about, unusually, because they're quite slim volumes, aren't they? Um, And we waited until the second one came out to do this podcast. Yes, I was quite curious about that. I mean, I I didn't wonder what um, Rebellion's thinking was with that. Um, Almost kind of drip-feeding these very slim volumes. With other characters of the period, you've got these, like, uh, Johnny Future or... Dr. Mesmer's Revenge or The Leopard from Lime Street. You've got these quite substantial books, but these are really quite slim. Anyway, nevertheless, it's nice to have all this material available again. And for the most part, it looks pretty nice, I think. Yes, it does. So as you say, they collect comics that originally appeared in Smash from March to September 1969. As you say, Tom Tully, the first volume is all Francisco Solano Lopez art. In the second volume, we've got Solano Lopez, but we've also got three other artists, Jaime Brocal Romoe, uh, Frank Fuentes Mann, and then after me, probably messing up those uh, those Spanish names, that we've got the nicely named great British artist Reg Bunn, which is a great name. Reg Bunn, yes. fabulous name. So that's what we're going to be talking about. You've mentioned who he is and what he does. I mean, um, apart from his distinctive look, of course, he develops distinctive abilities, doesn't he? He does, he does. So when we, we first encounter him in the, in the workhouse, uh, he and a, a group of the other orphans are, are, are starving. Um, so Janus works out he has this ability to uh, manipulate his body into very small spaces. So he's able to climb into um, the larder and... Uh, take food for the other orphans and that's something that develops throughout some of the other stories it does indeed yes and he goes on i mean after his boyhood adventures he goes you know the the strip develops with him in full, uh, full adulthood where he's now a performer he's a very houdini-esque escapologist uh he uses his remarkable body in order to do these various sort of uh, i suppose I guess London Victorian music hall um, fairground type shows where he will perform remarkable feats on stage. But of course, he's got this great sideline as well, apart from being a uh, music hall um, entertainer. Absolutely. So he escapes the workhouse, as you say, he ends up in the city and he's befriended by a blind homeless chap called Largo. He hones his, his skills as an escapologist. And then, as you say, he has this this kind of parallel career as a, as a uh, both a crime fighter and a, a champion of social justice yes 
So it's it's, it's fairly straight, straightforward stuff, isn't it? You know, um, I mean, he's forever dealing with, let's say, children in workhouses, uh, criminals who are exploiting the poor, dodgy landlords. Occasionally, he gets various rich engineers and so on who set him weird uh, tasks and escape traps or escape rooms i guess you'd call them and yes he's forever you know he is the hand of justice in victorian london for the downtrodden and oppressed uh, using his remarkable abilities and as you say his his abilities as a sort of crime fighter to help the poor and oppressed so it's quite you know it's, it's good stuff for victorian london isn't it it definitely is, and uh, particularly with Lopez's artwork, where he, he sets the scene beautifully, and you, you uh, encounter all these weird and wonderful locations and characters. Uh, it's a very noirish, uh, Holmesian feel to it, isn't it? It is. It is. It is noir um, London. Um, lots of fog shrouded seat, uh, streets. I love the fact that you know the very the title logo uh, of you know the incredible adventures of Jaina Stark over a sort of foggy rooftop scene of london with a lantern in the uh, foreground um probably saint paul's dome in the background there i think as well so i love that and the streets i mean i guess what we could say about francesco lopez's art is it's it's dark and uh inky and um fog shrouded and very atmospheric it really is a sort of dickensian london that this character practices his arts in Absolutely. I mean, the the thing that strikes me about this particular strip as well is is it's so very English, even though you know it's, it's drawn by an, an Argentinian chap. A very English, very European feel. I mean, I, I I would, I think something like this would struggle to translate elsewhere. To, and I'm talking about America now, really. I know there were there were certain attempts to promote the Steel Claw. There was a Quality Comics edition in the late '80s, which I think died a slow death. It is very peculiarly English, and I think for that reason, this kind of noirish black and white feel works so well. So we're going to talk about this because uh, we're going to get on later on, I think, to talk about the Smash special that's recently come out. But of course, one of the received wisdoms about British comic book heroes from this period... Uh, the late 60s or well, I think all the way through the 60s and the 70s was that they were certain they had a certain anti-hero quality to them unlike the sort of more um, colourful but direct American superheroes so we'd get characters like uh, the Steel Claw and particularly I suppose the Spider where you never really quite worked out if they were good guys or bad guys Janus Stark he, he looks creepy and he's got this sort of dark feel to him as a character, but yeah, he is—he's very definitely the good guy. He's on the on the side of the, as I say, as I keep saying, the poor and the oppressed, isn't he? Did he, you know, did you find the character creepy or disturbing? Can you remember from when you first encountered him? I think definitely as a, as a young child um, looking at these these strips, it, as I do now, I, I see it and I think. He resembles more of a of, of a of a very old school villain, but obviously he's on the, the the side of the righteous. It is a very peculiar thing, isn't it? Um, I can't think of he's drawn like a villain, isn't he? Mm, he yeah. is, he is. And at various points, he's either wearing a you know a big cape and a top hat or um, wide brimmed hat. So it looks probably closer to something like the spider, yes, than uh, 
I love his look with the cape and the stick, the cane, and as you say, the wide brim slouch hat, plus his distinctive features. It's great. And, you know, um, I suppose there's a few British comic book characters who've got distinctive eyebrows, and here's another one. Very Dennis Healy, as you say. But he would do, you know, you could imagine him as a villain for Sherlock Holmes in a way. Um, but he's actually, as I say, he's, um, he's one of the righteous. Absolutely. He's got that kind of Moriarty look about him, hasn't he, I suppose? Yeah. So Tom Tully's writing, as you say, uh, one of the sort of probably most consistent in terms of output of British comic book writers, uh, probably, I think, the longest-running Roy of the Rovers writer, um, but also for 2000 AD, he did Dan Dare, did Harlem Heroes, Mean Arena. He did The Mind of Wolfie Smith, which I think, if I'm right, does that start in Tornado and then jump into 2000 AD, I think? It does. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's an interesting writer. And, of course, he has to do that thing in four or five pages each week where Jaina Stark has to be in some sort of trap or escape room or, you know, he's locked up in a jail or something. And he has to contort his remarkable body to escape through a very narrow opening. Um, I'm reminded, actually, of that... Um, I don't know if you remember the X-Files, the character Tombs in that famous episode, Squeeze. Oh, yes. yes. The one that freaked us all out because he could sort of dislocate all his joints and squeeze through chimneys. Well, Jaina Stark did that first, didn't he? Yes, indeed. And I, I do actually wonder whether somebody... With some outside chance that somebody saw that and, and used that as an inspiration for the X Files character, probably not. But it's very, it's like very similar so. in the way he gets in and out of uh, locked buildings, isn't it? And I tell you, I remember Jaina Stark um, from when I was a kid, and he always it always gave me the heebie-jeebies. I think because I had that sort of fear of confined spaces, and most episodes he's in a. He's in a narrow chimney way or some sort of he's he's prized one brick out and he has to escape through a narrow gap. And all that stuff used to really disturb me, Chris, when I read it. I still find it a bit freaky at the moment. Uh, yes, me too. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite unusual, isn't it, for, for a British comic? And yet um, it somehow works. It somehow works. It does. Uh, so Tom Tully does this great job of putting... Stark in a tight spot over and over again and Stark getting out just in the nick of time to save the day. Francisco Solano Lopez, um, as you say, Chris, born in Argentina 1928, sadly passed away in 2011. And one of these 20th century art stories in a way that he has to flee Argentina because of, uh, I think because of political cartoons that he was drawing at the time. He settles in Madrid as one of the sort of Spanish art agencies, but he eventually moves to London and works for Fleetway. Although I think in Europe he's best known for a comic that I wasn't familiar with called El, uh, The Eternaut, I think, or The Eternaut. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But he does yeah. wonderful stuff. Absolutely stunning work. I mean, I, I understand that initially, at least, Fleetway IPC were employing some of these Argentine Spanish artists to save costs. Uh, they must have had cheaper rates than some of the, the British artists at the time. But boy, did they uh, get their money's worth because his his work is absolutely exquisite. And he, he was really prolific for the UK comic market as well. I mean, just reading down the, the list of the titles that he worked on, Air Ace, Picture Library, 
War Picture Library, Thriller Picture Library, Battle Picture Library, Knockout, Buster, Lion, Smash, and then, of course, Roy the Rovers, where I think he was reunited with Tom Tully. Very prolific artist. Yes, and, and you know, they're not, sh- they're not short strips. You get the full four or five pages, and he doesn't uh, skimp on any of the background detail. You know, all the panels look fully completed, and lots, as we say, the, you know, I guess I suppose some of the time he gets to to do a bit of fog to conceal some of it but you know it's great work and the fact that they were churning this out weekly you know some of it must have been flying backwards and forwards to madrid i guess but then he was presumably settled in london but what lovely work to have in the first volume that we've got in front of us Absolutely. I mean, for, for both uh, Lopez and Tully, I mean, Tully must have been an absolute writing machine because I, I'm willing to bet he was concurrently probably working on a number of different strips at the same time on a weekly basis. So uh, assuming that it, it, he was writing similar length stories every week, it's incredible now to think about it, isn't it? Almost like um, Wagner and Grant for 2000 AD later on, where they, they were working on a, a number of different projects concurrently. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that period, I think we talked about it when I did a podcast uh, with the third about the 13th floor. I mean, that period in British comics history when Wagner and Grant just seemed to be writing all of them, basically. You know, it just seemed like yes. in their shed, they were just uh, churning out the scripts for everything and using various obviously various pseudonyms at the time to <laughs> to conceal the fact but yeah um tom tully doing this writing royal the rovers you know it's amazing stuff isn't it it is i mean it, you know he, he had certain tropes i mean uh, as i said the um the oppressed character was, was definitely one that he uh, he liked to uh, to return to i mean if you, if you look at billy farmer from the leopard from lime street again that's another good example. You know, he's this kid's bullied at school, and uh, he's got this evil uncle at home. There, there are certain things which he, um, he he liked to return to. Yes, and uh, you know, uh, clearly there is that sort of Billy's Boots theme for Jaina Stark because you know, in a way, it doesn't work unless you've got him in a situation each week where he can use his uh, bendy India rubber bones uh, and his ability to dislocate his limbs and sort of get out of tight spaces. So there is a certain there is a certain recurrent nature to British comic stories at times, but it's just all done with such, I don't know, elegance and grace by Tom Tully. And then you get pages of Solano Lopez's art where... He's marvellous on some of the close-ups of people's faces, I thought, in Victorian London. You know, some of the bad guys, but some of the sort of supporting characters, even just to sort of like policemen on street corners, they get these marvellous sort of expressions on their face, which is so lovely to look at in black and white art. Absolutely. When, when you see um, Stark um, uh, clambering over a um, presumably London rooftop or a churchyard or a street scene, it's all so beautifully rendered. Yeah, I mean, that's great as well. The architecture, um, you know, these sort of buildings that he gets trapped in. Uh, There's a post box on one page. There's some railings. uh, There's the Tower of London. It's it's just amazing stuff. So inky and dark and so Victorian. And I just love it. The foggy pages. uh, And as I say, the title logo as well. I just love all that work. Remarkable. It's a feast, isn't it? It is. And then we get the second volume, which I'll just turn you to briefly, because we've got three other artists uh, pop up then. 
Brocal Ramoe, Fuentes Man, and of course Reg Bun. Um, of those, were there any sort of standouts in the second volume that you wanted to mention? Yeah, I mean, I think the standard of work remains uh, very high, but I, I will mention our old friend Reg Bun because uh, <laughs> I'm a bit of a fan of his, um, particularly on The Spider. And he was a remarkable character, apparently, because um, he suffered a motor accident which left him paralysed. And he was told that he would never walk again. Yet just through sheer will and determination, um, he recovered enough to be able to continue to work. So although he, he suffered bad back problems for the rest of his life, and it, his life was cut short, he died in 1971, but he was able to knock out the knock out, craft these beautiful, beautiful pages. His line work is absolutely exquisite. There, there is a, a an out-of-print now volume of um, the spider stories called King of Crooks, which Titan put out years ago, probably about 2005. If you can find it, it is an absolute treat. The, the artwork is, is gorgeous. And obviously, um, Rebellion will be reissuing some of that stuff next year. So uh, Reg really stood out for me. And Although he was faithful to kind of Lopez's initial vision, he really put his own stamp on it. It's really beautiful stuff. Yes, he. D- I mean, I'm looking at the Regburn pages in Volume 2 now, uh, and as you say, considering that this was a chap who at one point was paralysed uh, and then goes on to draw like this, I'm thinking, what on earth is my excuse? You know, <laughs> why can't I draw? <laughs> because this is wonderful stuff, particularly there's a moment of Stark escaping on a hot air balloon over the streets of London, which is lovely as well. But yes, so we get some great, you know, variation in the art in the second volume. And Reg Bunn, who, as you say, probably most famous for creating or co-creating the spider. And we're going to be talking about the spider in a moment. So there's lots to enjoy in these two volumes. As you say, they've been issued as, I guess they'd be called perfect bound comic books, sort of like slightly large format softbacks. Um, yes. I wonder if it was to do with the reproduction and they were keen to get something out in time for Thought Bubble. I don't know whether it was, you know, because I know the reprographics team obviously working on the archive have had to, uh, they're dealing with scans and cleaning this artwork up. So, but it does seem it's strange that they perhaps wouldn't have kept the second volume, you know, and put it together in, a, in either a bigger format paperback or even preferably a hardback. I, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I've got um, Dr. Mezzer's Revenge with me at the moment. And again, that, that's quite a, you know, a, a more substantial volume. I, I would have thought they would have waited and, and maybe put a, more of this stuff out together. But as you say, perhaps they just wanted some product out at Thought Bubble. And it obviously did sufficiently well for us to get volume two, which is good news. Yes. And hopefully we'll get volume three as well. I guess they're a bit like, because recently I've just done Absalom on the podcast and the three volumes of that are fairly slim, uh, neatly contained, and they're a bit, they're similar to that. As you say, I think, I can't quite see it on my shelf now, but Dr. Mesmer's hardback I've got here as well. And most of the British comic fans I talk to, I think Janus Stark is the better known character than Dr. Mesmer's Revenge. But anyway, they put it out for, th- for Thought Bubble. We got to go to a comic convention, buy it straight off the 2000 AD stall, and then go and sit in a cafe. As you say, it just seems like another age now, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> it does. 
but hopefully there'll be a third volume. What about these British comic book heroes from the 60s and early 70s? Are you a fan of those, Chris, in general? Yes, definitely. I mean, certainly the, the Steel Core, which I'm pretty sure I would have read first in, in Vulcan because my brother certainly had copies of that around the house. Probably not many consecutive issues. But um, as some of the stories were, were kind of fairly self-contained, it wasn't difficult to kind of pick up what was going on. So that one certainly. And then also um, the spider, this this curious, villainous kind of anti-hero. We're never quite sure where we are with him. Refers to himself in the third person and has all this, this marvellous technology and gadgetry that he draws upon. So certainly those characters, I, I was less familiar with, with um, the likes of Dr. Mesmer's Revenge. So it was a real treat to to pick that up and to, to have a, to re to kind of read through that. I'll certainly be checking out other titles as well. Um, the, the Johnny Future one, which came out fairly recently. I'm quite keen to, uh, to have a look at that. Okay. Well, let's, I mean, let's turn to, because the spider I think is a fascinating character and I'd like to know more about the spider. But let's turn briefly away from Jaina Stark and look at the Smash uh, special that's come out from Rebellion, the Treasury of British Comics, very recently, May, June time, I think. Got a copy here in front of me, which has a number of these British characters uh, reimagined in the special. Beautiful cover uh, by Chris Weston featuring the steel claw smashing out of the sort of page towards us, the spider, Johnny Future, My Tech the Mighty, and the new version of Thunderbolt. Um, is it Thunderbolt the Avenger or just Thunderbolt? Uh, Thunderbolt the Avenger, I believe. Yeah. Um, so tell us, because I had Conrad on and we talked about the action special 2020. What about the smash special 2020? What did you make of that, Chris? I was really looking forward to this one. It's it, certainly of all the specials announced this year for this year. This was the one I was most looking forward to. And I think for the most part, uh, it definitely delivers for me. Out of all of the strips in in, uh, in this special, the one I was looking forward to particularly, because I'm such a fan of the character, it was the Steel Claw. And unfortunately, that was the one that kind of hit a bit of a wrong note for me. I mean, I appreciate the work of Charlie Higson and Charlie Adlard. I'm a big fan of both of them. But um, that particular one, just because it was it was played for laughs, um, I th- I thought it was a little bit disrespectful to the character. I mean, it's certainly funny and certainly entertaining. I'm not sure I'd return to it very often. And we should also mention Adelaide's art because apparently this was his first fully digital strip, I believe. Ah, right, so, okay. So it's it's quite nice. It's it's very different to his. You know, if obviously if you've followed his work with The Walking Dead and some of his dread stuff and. Savage in 2080. It's quite different to that. I'm not completely struck on it, although I appreciate the the effort and the skill that that went into it. Yes, set at the Millennium Dome uh, on you know in, uh, on the turn of the century on year 2000. Uh, Tony Blair, the Queen, jokes about Elton John and Mick Hucknall. Yeah, it's it's, it's a slightly odd one, isn't it? It is. I, I think of all the strips in here, my personal favourite is probably the Spider. I think. Um, what Rob Williams did on the script and John McRae on on the art side is just gorgeous. It's just fantastic, and it really draws you in. And although I, you know, I've I've read a reasonable amount of the early Spider stories, I, I definitely want to see more from from that pair. Yes, and 
John, John's art is absolutely superb. And, you know, we talk about Jaina Stark having a distinctive look. The spider, again, with that widow's peak hairstyle and the, the pointy ears, the weird flying contraption that he wears. Um, and John McRae does a beautiful incarnation of the spider and with, a, as you say, Rob Williams on script. And I, that was the one I was... It was the first one in, this, in the special and it was the one that I instantly wanted to read, like, the next issue. <laughs> Really yes. wanted, you know, yeah. like that felt like something that was continuing, and I guess with these specials, I mean, I don't really understand this, Chris, but I gather the sort of like limitations on publishing slots for this stuff in the year, so they can only put out so many. I understand. Plus, I guess they have to test the market and see what it what the market will bear, how many of these will buy. But you know, there's lots of them that we'd like to have more of, isn't there? Oh, definitely. I mean, th- th- certainly. Um market out there for the I, I gather the action special did very well and I imagine that the battle special later in the year is September I imagine that will do really well but, um, but something like this is the characters in it are a bit more slightly odder and more esoteric so I, I hope it does well I hope it does well because th- there is you know the seeds of some really good stories here and great characters so I hope it continues and unfortunately the, the vigilant appears to have um, petered out. I, I, I think the, the final installments basically given away or, or published in um, this it's month's in Judge Dredd magazine. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a bit, bit of a shame. Um, I guess the demand just wasn't wasn't there or they lost interest with it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it is a shame about the Vigilant, but hopefully the Smash special does well again and we get some more of this. Who else in this um, in this special did you want to pick out in terms of some of the characters they brought back? Okay, um, I really enjoyed Maura McHugh, and I'll, I'll apologise in advance if I pronounce the chap's name incorrectly. Andrew Butchback's Curse to Doom and Jason Hyde. I thought that was an absolute hoot. Um, lovely art, reminded me of um, Mignola and Tin and Trevelyan, who I, I'm, I'm both uh, an admirer of. So I, I thought that, that was a really good uh, reintroduction those two characters i'm more familiar with curse to doom from um vulcan reprints jason hyde lesser that was a character i wasn't really that familiar with to me but astonishing art and you you know those two names you've mentioned a cross between mike mignola and tin and trevelyan that's a perfect description of this wonderful sort of colorful cartoony but creepy artwork yeah, that's a great one. I like that. And again, like yourself, I well, probably I'd heard of Curse to Doom, but I hadn't heard of Jason Hyde at all. So, yeah, I enjoyed that one. That was also something I wanted to read more of, particularly the artwork. Absolutely. I think Jason Hyde starting Valiant. I think that was a Valiant character to begin with, and Curse to Doom was Smash and then Valiant. Yes. But more, please. I, I'd definitely love to see more of that yeah, one. Yeah, absolutely. And then also the House of Dolmen, which has uh, Simon Fern scripts it, and the the incredible Chris Weston on art. He, he, his art for me just keeps getting better and better. I mean, he uh, did a uh, a couple of dread strips uh, last year. The control, control thing with yeah, Judge Pin. Right. Oh, just gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. I I do wonder whether Chris would have preferred to have worked on the Steel Claw because I know. He's a fan of the character. In fact, he—I um, understand—he uh, when Titan were putting back their 
reissue of the Steel Core together back in 2005, he actually lent them some of his old comics. Oh, right. Uh, to to, pr- to provide scans, which apparently were inadvertently lost. And uh, as far as I know, he didn't get them back. Oh, so wow. um, he didn't suffer his, for his own art, he suffered for somebody else's art. I mean, his, <laughs> so there oh, we go. Yeah. I mean, his work on the House of Dolman is wonderful. And of course, he does the cover. And I should imagine he was probably telling. Um, Keith Richardson or whoever at the uh, at the Treasury to say, you know, I'm drawing the cover, nobody else is drawing it. <laughs> because he, uh, I know from when I had him on the podcast, he read Vulcan like yourself, and I think he has a huge love for those characters, many of whom were reprinted in Vulcan in the 70s, I think. So, yeah, the House of Dolman, and Chris, as you say, Chris Weston's art um, is just glorious to look at right at the end of this special. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a slightly odd... Uh, premise, I suppose. Um, Dolman being a a wheelchair-bound puppeteer, inventor, ventriloquist, and he has these these children, these toys that come to life. So it's probably a bit more problematic than some of the other strips, but nevertheless, it's it's entertaining. Again, I'd definitely like to see more of that one. Cool. I mean, yeah, so there it is. It's the... The Smash special, we've also got Thunderbolt the Avenger, we've got a Johnny Future strip, My Tech the Mighty is back, or sort of back, it would seem. Um, that one was quite interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, again, glorious art, and we get a hint of of, uh, of My Tech right towards the end of the script. I don't want to get too much away, but uh, again, let's just hope that we get more of this, because um, I, think, I think it's got legs. Excellent stuff. So, that's the Smash special. And now, of course, the one thing it doesn't have is any Jaina Stark, you know, a, a character who appeared or first appeared in Smash. Who, if, if it had appeared in the Smash special, who would you have wanted to perhaps write and draw it? Could you think of some of the, you know, the current artists who you'd, would be a good match for this weird Victorian character? Well, Stark is this curious, exaggerated-looking figure. I'd quite like to see somebody like um, Disraeli have a, have a crack at the character. And if uh, it's Disraeli or not, I'd really like to see Ian Edgington on writing duties as well. I think they're a really good team. And I think it'd be quite different. It, 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 some people may, may think, oh, well, it, 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 it's probably too similar to, to, to stickle back. But nevertheless, I'd like to see them have a crack at it. Absolutely. I mean, he does... Jaina Stark appears as a background character in one panel of the first book of Stickleback. Um, Disraeli drew him in there, um, amazingly enough. He's not named, but you can see him in the background. But they would be the obvious pairing, wouldn't they? And I bet they'd be up for it. I'm guessing they might have been just too busy doing other stuff. But, you know, if there's a couple of of creators who could bring back a Victorian creepy crime fighter, it would be Disraeli and Edgington, wouldn't it? (laughs) Definitely. I mean, I think Ian's been working on a um, an Iron Maiden graphic novel and a couple of bits for uh, Heavy Metal. And I think Disraeli's been working on some stuff for Dark Horse. But never, you know, if they, obviously, if they were asked and if they had the time, I'm sure both of them would really be up. They're both kind of steeped in, in kind of comics lore. And uh, I know Ian's uh, certainly a fan of uh, the Silver Age comics. So, yeah. Definitely. Let's have those two, I think. Okay. Also, uh, we should mention great 2000 AD artist and also comics historian David Roach, who I guess, again, might have been busy with his Masters of British Comic Art book because he would be, I mean, he is an expert on many of these artists, I think, 
particularly the Spanish and Argentinian artists, but also some of these characters from the 60s and 70s. Um, it would be great to get him in a future special as well, wouldn't it? He would. Uh, again, you know, David is, is somebody who has this vast knowledge of, of the entire spectrum of comics, but particularly Silver Age British comics. And I know he's a big fan of Jesus Blasco's work on The Steel Claw. So, yes, for me, I, I would love to see either him or Chris Weston tackling the, the claw in, in a future issue. So I'm going to ask you a couple more questions about the uh, Smash special, um, about some forthcoming collections. But obviously on this podcast, we play the Grail Page game from time to time. And when I talked to Conrad about Action Special, there was only one page in the special that would be the obvious Grail page. In this Smash Special... And I'm obviously looking at the first strip, The Spider, by John, uh, by Rob Williams and John McRae. Because am I right in thinking you've got a page, Chris? I am. Uh, yes, uh, I was extremely lucky. I, I just happened to, uh, to get in touch with John. Uh, he's a lovely chap. And just mentioned this particular page, the, the fifth page, the splash page. And he had it available. Um, so, yes, I'm very, very happy to... Uh, to now be the current custodian of that one is beautiful. So this is and even more beautiful in real fantastic. life. Fantastic! This is the full page splash of the spider emerging from his sort of prison pod that he's been kept in uh, for all these years. The uh, the tubes or whatever they are. Uh, it's a John McRae image. The spider in all his glory emerging triumphant. What a page, Chris! And you, you got in touch with him just when this came out, then, or was it? Had you had a chance to see it before it came out? I think John posted a couple of it, uh, probably work in progress images and then the finished image, this particular finished page. And I thought, I, I wonder, I, I was convinced somebody else would have snapped it up uh, straight away. Anyway, right place, right time, one of those situations. Um, although Mike Spicer has done an absolutely gorgeous job of colouring it. Um, let me tell you, in black and white, it's something else. It's really special. Fantastic. I'm, I'm extremely envious of you for snapping up that wonder of a page. Because I think apart from possibly Chris Weston's cover image, that is, I think, it's the grail page of this special, this issue. Uh, and you are the proud owner of it now, which is remarkable. I, I will cherish it. I will post an image of the page when this episode comes out so people know what we're talking about. Okay, so that's the spider. Let's look forward, because you've mentioned them briefly already, I think, as we've gone on. We have got a full-page advert in the Smash special for two forthcoming collections. So February 21, I think we get in... um, Is it the Steel Claw that comes out first? Uh, yes, I think it is. Just let yeah, me, uh... it is. I found the page now. It's the Steel Claw, February 2021. And then the Spider's Syndicate of Crime, April 2021. And these are collections of the original strips rather than a reimagining, aren't they? They are, they are. So if any of the listeners to the podcast happen to have any original art pages from either the Spider or the Steel Claw, and preferably the, the, the kind of earlier stuff, the Jesus Blasco stuff on the, on the Steel Claw, I'm sure the Treasury of British Comics would be extremely appreciative if... Um, collectors out there would be able to give them scans of their original art pages yes get in touch nice be nice to get these 
get these collections looking as, as good as possible. Absolutely, yeah. Get in touch with Keith Richardson. Make Joseph uh, Morgan's job slightly easier with the reproduction. Um, but yeah, next year, 2021, we are promised collections of the Steel Claw, the Spider's Syndicate of Crime. I quite like how on the cover of the Steel Claw at the moment, if that's the cover, they've gone with a sort of Andy Warhol-type um, reprint of the single image of the claw in a variety of different colours, which is quite uh, quite pop art, and, and I like that. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure if that's the uh, the finished cover. I, I guess we'll find out soon Could enough. Could be a placeholder, um, yeah. Because um, Brian Bolland did the cover for the uh, the 2005 Titan edition. I had heard rumours that he might be involved with this one. Let's hope so. Oh, right. That would be good. Yes, because he did talk on that interview at the Thrillcast recently, they're saying it was about time he did a cover again. Uh, okay, and also, I suppose, Chris Weston and uh, John McRae might be keen to draw covers themselves, I should imagine, um, if they're asked. Uh, Absolutely. So those are treats to look forward to in the future. Let's get back to Janus Stark. Um, having diverted into the Smash special, but you know we wanted to talk about these these weird British comic heroes who've been revived. Um, if we look at these two volumes that we've got in front of us today, Chris, did you have any particular favourite episodes or moments from the, the incredible adventures of Jaina Stark? I do. I was I was leafing through them both again the other day, and uh, the, the one that leapt out at me is um, the story in volume one where. Um, Jane Stark's blind friend Largo is taken prisoner and held captive in the Tower of London. And Stark has to undertake a number of tasks to be able to free him. I, I really like Lopez's art on that story. I think he, he, you, you can tell by the images on the page that he seems to revel in the depictions of the tower interiors, the beefeaters and so on. And uh, there's a really good, uh, on that particular page, there's a really good scene of Stark using his ability to squeeze through uh, a narrow gap. It's just beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's very lovely. Um, I'm looking at that image now, and of course he does get gets to draw the beef eaters as well, little suits of armor, remarkable stuff. So that's your sort of favourite our uh, episode from these two volumes. Okay, we should also mention while we're talking about Jane Stark. Before I ask you about Grail Pages, um, this is one of those British comics that leapt across the channel to Europe and enjoyed a certain degree of success abroad, even after it was a finished publication in British comics, didn't it? It did indeed, yeah. Um, and I think that's a testament to the, the popularity of the character and the, the fact that it seems to transfer so well to other markets. Um, something, again, you know, it shares with the, the Steel Claw, which has been, there's lots of different iterations worldwide. And I think it, initially it was... Um, the, the stories which were published in France were penned by Angus Allen, who will probably be familiar to listeners as the uh, stalwart uh, writer on looking for, for decades, uh, another writing machine. And then writing responsibility was handed over to Scott Goodall. And it, I think that, that particular version ran until about 1990. I was having a look at some of the, uh, the art pages from the French edition the other day. Quite different in many ways, but still really lovely art yes it is and i was reading one of the hibernia comics um books about fleetway i think 
and it had an article about French um, versions of Jane Stark and how the stories continued. And as you say, written by two Brits, um, but you know, um, beautiful illustrations again. So it's another one of these strange stories where the British comic jumps to Europe. Billy's Boots, incredibly popular in Holland, I learned. And Jane Stark, very popular in France. Um, so there you go, the continuing popularity of these stories, even when they perhaps had finished their original runs here in Britain. Absolutely. And of course, the Trigon Empire, very popular in uh, uh, Holland and Germany. Of yes, course. absolutely. Uh, yes. And, you know, having just recently done that on the podcast, we can see why. There's a beautiful hardback as well. It's gorgeous. Okay, let's play the Grail Page game. Um, Do you own any sort of classic British comic book art from the 60s and 70s at all, Chris? Because I know you're a bit of a collector. I'm I'm really sad to say, Eamon, I don't currently own anything from Jane Stark. I really must rectify that. (laughs) Just looking at this, particularly through the first volume, it's just gorgeous work. Um, However, I'm fortunate enough to own uh, several pages of The Steel Claw, both by... Jesus Blasco and then Studio Rossi, which included Massimo Bilardinelli, who will be familiar to 2000 AD fans. So, yes, yes. Um, But uh, definitely, uh, Janus Stark is definitely on my my collection list. Right. Okay. Well, let's say then, let's say that we can find some of this art and that it's available and we can afford it. What would be your grail pages from these two volumes? And I think because I know we were sharing some images before, and I think you've got one from each volume. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So the first one is is by Lopez, um, the master. And I, I think this particular page just perfectly captures the the, character, the, the aspects of Jaina Stark's character. Absolutely, that's the one. This master escapologist illusionist, and then it, on the same page, it flits to his, his crime fighting investigator alter ego. I think it's just perfect. It has everything about the character just in one page. Yeah. It is a glorious image. He's doing his uh, musical st- act in the first three panels or the first four panels. And then in the bottom part of the page, he's creeping around down a set of stairs. Um, and it is just lovely. I mean, everything we've said about Solano Lopez's art, the, 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 uh, the rich inks, the uh, close up character studies of some of the supporting characters faces and then the remarkably angular and sinister looking janus stark pointed chin dennis healy eyebrows and all so yeah lovely okay we'll grant you that page it becomes virtually yours forevermore in the uh, the art gallery um let's turn to volume two um what have you gone for there we mentioned him earlier um the mighty reg bun so Image two is uh, one of Reggie's pages, and although he, um, in terms of his portrayal of, of uh, Stark, he, he sticks quite close to, to Lopez's vision. It also shows his his own considerable talent and, and skills, kind of slightly off the wall um, aspects, and and that line work, boy, it's just amazing. I, I'm looking at the, the um, some of the work now, and it it's just jaw-droppingly gorgeous yes it is isn't it it's a wonderful page he's been set in some sort of weird challenge trap by a uh, again who's it noted mechanical engineer sir hector brandel uh, how could i refuse such an invitation but yeah reg bun's artwork so that's lovely as well that becomes virtually yours thank you i'll I tell you i did this is really weird i did own a janus start page 
I owned a Solana Lopez page, which I'd bought on eBay quite cheaply a few years ago. And I got contacted by a collector from, of all places, France, of course, uh, a Solano Lopez collector who'd seen it on my Comic Art Fans page and offered me twice what I'd paid for it. Um, So I sold it. Um, (laughs) Sort of wishing now I'd held on to it. But anyway, so yes. uh, The things we do. France, of course. The things we do, yes. Um, If I could buy a, a page now, I would have... It is, I think, the start of the Tower of London story, I think, which is, because I love a title page, as everybody knows from this podcast, I like the title at the top of the page. And we've got a Solana Lopez from book one. Uh, It's Janus Stark with the title, Blind Largo's on the page, teaching him how to crack safes. Um, He's stalking through uh, the streets, the foggy streets of London, so I'm going to have that page, and I'll post all these images as ever on the Facebook and the forums and the Twitters and so on when this episode comes out. And actually, as we speak, there is a Janus Stark page up on eBay. They're not all; they're not terribly expensive. This one's, I think, about 150 pounds. It's unfortunately it's from Silver Acre, and they don't, as ever, they don't include a lot of detail about the page. But there is one up for sale, I noticed, at the moment, at least. Yes, yes. I, I must admit, I, I had a look at that myself. A slightly itchy trigger finger. Yes. Do you, I mean, I'm, <laughs> is it Solana Lopez, do you think? Because as ever, you know, as I say, they don't give any details. I think it's a slightly later Lopez right. page. It's um, not one from these two volumes, is it? It's not, no. no. Right. Maybe towards 69, 70, I would, I would right. guess. I'm not sure. Okay, but they do crop up occasionally. So there are pages out there, which is nice to know that they still exist and that they didn't go the ways of some of the uh, famous artwork stories that we've heard about and uh, cringed about. So they are still out there. Anyway, that's lovely. We've got Grail pages for yourself and for me. And, you know, who knows, the possibility of picking up some actual pages in the future, maybe. Oh, let's hope to so. To go with your Steel Claw pages and also that miraculous page uh, of the Spider by John McRae from, you know, right up to date. Yes, I, I, I think John just keeps getting better and better. It looks like the pair of them had an absolute blast on this. Uh, it, an obvious labour of love. And you pulled off a, you know, you pulled off a blinder in securing that page, uh, Chris, because that's, I think, you know, as I say, that's probably the highlight of um, the special in a way, the, reappe- the reappearance of the spider. Um, what a character and what a page. What a character. I'm, I, I'm so looking forward to the, uh, the reissue next year. Well, who knows? We might get to talk about some more of these um, classic British comic book heroes next year. Um, we'll see. I've also just found off the shelf the hardback of Dr. Mesmer, uh, or Dr. Mesmer's Revenge, I think is what it's called, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, another nice volume. Uh, highly recommended for anyone who, who was sat on the fence about uh, purchasing that one. I think it's lovely. And uh, again, you know, the story's quite formulaic, but glorious art by uh, Carlos Cruz. Yeah, Carlos Cruz art, not not too dissimilar from the sort of stuff that Solana Lopez does in a way. Again, you know, those black and white British comics, lots of dark, inky corners for Dr. Mesmer's creatures to sort of creep around from. 
yeah. Okay, so that's interesting as well. So let's just briefly go back to Jaina Stark. We've mentioned two volumes so far. They are seven ninety nine each from the two thousand AD online store, or four ninety nine digital. If you want to have a look and see what Chris and I have been raving about and really enjoying a sort of collections of this. Um, slightly creepy British comic book character from the late 60s and onwards. Um, so great stuff. Anything else you wanted to add from your notes about Jaina Stark at all there, Chris? Um, it, it's probably worth mentioning that, um, assuming that we get further volumes of this material, it'd be curious to see how, how far Rebellion Treasury of British Comics take it, because I think um, John Freeman on his, on his blog mentioned that... Um, Ian Kennedy had actually completed a, a colour uh, Jaina Stark strip for, I think, um, Valiant 1973 annual. It's absolutely glorious. Of course, being Ian Kennedy. So, yes. l- l- fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely marvellous stuff. And, and very different because, obviously, the, the stuff we see so far in these reissues has is, been the uh, black and white pages. So I, I would certainly look forward to seeing that material included in some future re-release as well. And I have seen one page of that Ian Kennedy uh, artwork on a French Jaina Stark page, of course. Uh, you know, as I say, this character hugely popular in France, and there's a uh, French website dedicated to his adventures and uh, the stories and the artwork, and they've got one of those Ian Kennedy pages or an image of it up on the uh, site there. So you can, can find these things to look at. But interesting stuff. You wouldn't at first thought say ian kennedy but of course he was so you know he is so talented that you know he can turn his hand to just about anything it seems absolutely i mean i've been enjoying the um the recent um treasury reissues of some of the the ra stuff and the the the, um ian kennedy battle of britain volume uh is just wonderful absolutely wonderful and of course, he was at Thought Bubble last year, and let's hope we see him at Thought Bubble 21 because he is just such a um, British comics legend. Um, and he's still producing such wonderful um, commissions that he does. Uh, when you get a chance to see those, they're just delightful, aren't they? He, yes, absolutely. I mean, some of the, the recently completed ones uh, have been absolutely marvellous. Uh, his, his Rogue Trooper piece, which was used in a recent 2000 AD. I mean, for a chap of uh, 87 years, it's just a stunning piece of work. Yeah, absolutely. Still at the top of his game. He is. It's astonishing. He's absolutely astonishing. He is a delight, and I hope he is uh, I hope he is safe and well and stays so for uh, a long time to come. Um, a protective bubble round uh, Mr. Kennedy, please. Certainly. We wish him yeah, well. Absolutely. So, Chris, I guess the only other thing to mention would be, as you say, that call-out for anybody who does own original artwork from particularly the Spider or the Steel Claw to come forward and hopefully swap scans with the uh, the Treasury of British Comics. Absolutely. Um, Yes, if anybody out there does have any pages which they uh, would be prepared to scan and offer to uh, the Treasury, please do so. Let's get these books to look as good as they can be. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. We look forward to those and we'll perhaps get a chance to talk about some more of these strange British comic characters and their collections in 2021. And if anybody wants to pick any of the other 
treasury books that we haven't covered yet, do get in touch by emailing me at mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. Sadly, won't be able to meet up with you at a convention anytime in the near future. But, you know, as we keep saying, hopefully those days will return next year um, and we'll be able to get to a convention. We'll meet up at Thought Bubble 21, perhaps get to sit down with another book in a coffee shop somewhere, Chris. Absolutely. I look forward to it, Eamon. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Chris. Uh, It's been a delight. Um, As I say, I have fond memories of Jaina Stark. Um, He still creeps me out a little bit, and I still don't like those (laughs) tight spaces. But there you go. Um, It is remarkable stuff, and particularly the... uh, the Solana Lopez artwork is just a wonder to behold. So do go to the uh, the web store and check out some of the sample pages they have up there. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me, Eamon. It's been great stuff. Thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the 2080 forums, and on Spotify. Get in touch at mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. And that will do us. Until next time on the book club, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's uh, goodbye from myself and... Goodbye. Bye.